Uh, well, hey, good morning, everybody. I promise you that's the last time somebody will say good morning to you. I think that's probably the sixth time. Uh, so we are finishing up our relationship series for the last uh, four weeks, this being the fifth. We've looked at different types of relationships through the uh, book of Matthew, this being one of the main um, themes that Matthew engages in in his writing. So before we jump in uh, too much there, I want you to take a moment and turn to somebody to the side of you, behind you, in front of you. I guess if it's in front of you, you don't have to turn. Just look straight ahead. Uh, and I want you to ask uh, the question, what have you been struck by? What's one challenging thing from the last four weeks that stayed with you? If you haven't uh, been here, then just listen to that other person or take a minute to grab a coffee or whatever. But uh, let's engage for just a moment. And what's one thing that stuck out to you over the course of this relationship series? Take a couple minutes and discuss that. I have been incredibly challenged in this series uh, for a variety of reasons, and this morning is really meant to be kind of a summary of everything that we've looked at, trying to synthesize all this stuff and bring it into a package that hopefully we can go forward and, and learn and, and be challenged in. It will be quick. We'll kind of move through, uh, through some stuff pretty fast this morning, um, so hang with me and know that this is kind of a, a summary, uh, broad overlook of, of where we've been. In the same weird way that Russ and I spoke about marriage by looking at a passage really designed to speak about divorce, this morning I'm going to talk about relationships, but I'm going to talk about relationships and looking at a passage that's speaking about mission. So that gives you the framework. I believe that Jesus talks about relationship, but when he talks about relationship, he usually talks about it within the context of mission at some level. So it's whether uh, maybe it's when he's actually engaged in mission he teaches on relationship, or maybe it says he's instructing others about mission. There's also instructions about relationship, or in the passage we'll look at today, he's actually sending his disciples out to engage in mission, and there's a bunch of truths that I think we take about relationships in that. So Jesus talks about relationship, but when he does, it's, it's usually connected, and, and maybe even always connected, to this idea of mission. And it, it kind of begs the question for me, are we first to be relational, or are we first to be missional? If we could only focus on one thing, would we focus on being relational first and foremost, or would we focus on being missional? Does God want us to know, uh, or to be known for being great missionaries, or for being incredibly gifted relationally? It kind of begs that question for me as I read uh, the passage that we will look at today. And so you have this tension. Are we to be relational? Are we to be missional? And I think when we ask the question in that way, it assumes that they're mutually exclusive. And if we ask the question in that way, I would say that that question is ridiculous. Because I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that these two things go hand in hand. I, I hear this a lot in my conversations with small groups. One of the things or my roles here at the church is to engage in this idea of small groups to walk with leaders and, um, and to make sure that, that that side of new community, that wing of new community is healthy and strong and continuing to move forward. And often I have this conversation with our group leaders and, and there's, there's great tension in it of, should we really focus in on our group and being a, a group that is um, intimately connected, a group that knows each other well, that there's great depth of relationship, or should we be a group that's completely driven by mission, outward focused, engaging in the neighborhood, going and doing mission in Spokane. 
And this tension arises, and I think there's this undercurrent of sensing, well, we can't be both. We have to be either a group that's, that's really rooted deeply in our relationships with one another, or we're a group that's really focused on mission in Spokane. I think you can bring this even personally a little more. Should I be known as being a great father, a great son, a great husband, a great friend, a, a great member of this community rooted deeply in all my relationships? Or should I be known as the guy that's out front, bringing the gospel to the hurting people of Spokane? Should I be known as a great missionary, somebody who works tirelessly for the kingdom? Or should I be known for the depth of relationships, being somebody that could always be counted on? We ask these questions as if being missional and being relational are mutually exclusive. If you're great at one, then the other has to suffer. You can't be great at both. So when we ask that question, should I be missional first and foremost? Should I be relational first and foremost? There's no doubt a strong biblical theological answer that we could look at. But let me sum it up for you right here, right now. Should we be missional first? Should we be relational first? And the question or the answer to that question is yes. Should we be missional? Should we be relational? Yes. And I would say it this way, maybe. True biblical relationship only happens in and through mission. And in the same way, true biblical mission only happens through the vehicle of relationship. Here's what I'm saying. I believe Christ's intention was for us to understand our relationships by the fact that we are a sent people. We are sent as missionaries to the world. But I also believe at the same time, we are to understand our sentness through the very relationships that fill our lives. These things are linked together. They're not mutually exclusive. I think this is why Matthew kind of approaches this theme, a book that's oriented towards mission, a book that's oriented towards discipleship. He approaches it by showing that these two things are linked. Communicating that Jesus communicates about relationship in the context of mission. Matthew, as a writer, is trying to get us to see that relationship and mission are not isolated things from one another, but they're actually inexorably linked together. Now, I believe the church has maybe done an injustice in this. An injustice in our, our explanation to the understanding of, of how should we see these things. That we actually may have extracted these things from one another. That they've been categorized separately. Go back to this, uh, this idea of marriage that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When Grace and I were in our marriage counseling, we, uh, we walked through marriage counseling with a number of actually different couples, and, and resoundingly, the message that was sent to us is, in your first year of marriage, you need to pull back from everything. Grace and I, at the time, we were both very uh, engaged in working with a ministry called Young Life, worked with high school students in, uh, in and around the, the city that we lived in at this time, and we had given our life to this mission. But individually, we were, we were at different schools, ministering to different people, and, and people said, hey, for the health of your marriage, for that first year, you need to completely pull out of ministry and just really focus on one another. I actually couldn't disagree with that more. I believe that first year of marriage, Grace and I learned so much from engaging in mission together. We said, no, we're not going to pull away. We're actually going to press in to this idea. 
we're going to leverage what we have right now as a young couple to really press into this idea of ministry. Maybe marriage, that, that one doesn't really ring true for you. But how about the situation where you see on the mission field a, a family that goes overseas and then the parents working hard to spread the gospel and be missionaries and, and do all the things that missionaries need to do when they enter a new context, their kids are completely neglected. They lose sight of the relationships that God has placed right before them. And so in advancing the gospel and doing the very call that God has placed on their life, meanwhile, their kids are dying spiritually and emotionally right in front of them because they're so focused on mission, they forget that idea of relationship. I think we see this in a lot of different areas in our lives. It's when you have a new family, you, you, you have new kids, and you say, I just I don't have the time or the margin. I need to pull back from the ways that I'm engaged in the city because I really need to focus on my child right now. Or when you get that new job promotion and you say, I, I just don't have time. I, I, I need to really focus on this. I can't really engage in mission right now, or I can't really engage in relationships right now. You become busy, and so your, your missional activity becomes less and less relational and becomes more and more about writing checks at the end of the day to say, I'll support those who do mission because relationally I can't really engage in that way. Or, or maybe just the very relationships that we actually pursue are the ones that are most convenient for us, are the ones that are most generative for us. I think the list could go on and on about the ways that maybe not uh, overtly, but a little more subtly, the church has begun to kind of separate these things, separate the idea of missionality, of being on mission, of being sent, and the idea of being relational. We're going to study that today in Matthew 10. Let's uh, pray as we lead into the scripture here. God, we ask that, uh, again, as we open the scripture, you would speak to us and you would speak through it. Spirit, may you move, may you challenge, may you prod, may you do your work in this time. Lord, we, we offer it, uh, this study to you. We ask that we would be a community of people that would be moved into mission. So Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew 10, I'm going to look, uh, I'm going to give a real brief overview of Matthew 10. This is a pretty long passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There will be sections that I read. These are not just sections that I'm pulling out because they make my points better. <laughs> this is uh, just for time's sake this morning. I want to give a broad overview and then look at a couple of key scriptures out of this. So this will give you the context of where Jesus is coming from. Uh, right, right in the beginning of this, even before Matthew 10 starts, Jesus gives that, that final or, or famous prayer about, hey, go, we need, we need workers for the harvest. And so he sets it up by this, and then he gathers his 12 around him. And in verses 1 through 15, he begins uh, those verses by first identifying who his disciples are. There's a list of, of who the, the gentlemen are. And then he gives them these kind of sending instructions. And he says a couple of things. First, he says where to go in mission. He instructs his disciples where to go, and he says, go to Israel first. Second, he says, what to do in mission? And he says, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Third, he says, how to do it? He says, the way that this will happen is by healing the sick, raising the dead, 
cleansing the lepers and casting out the demons. And as you are doing those things, don't acquire any wealth for yourself. So how to do a mission. And then he ends by saying with whom to do a mission. He says, do a mission with those who are worthy, with those who accept you, who are receptive to the message. And when you find those people, stay with those people for as long as you can. And so Jesus gives these sending instructions to the disciples. And, and here's the point in those first couple of verses. Everything he has them do in mission is relational. He says, go together. Go to these people. Preach this message to those people. Heal, raise, cleanse, and cast out and do mission with these types of people. At no point does he say, hey, find the, the, the nearest coffee shop and leave a bunch of tracks out on a table and hope somebody finds them. He doesn't say, pull out your pocketbooks and write checks to the people that I'll send out later. He doesn't even say, hey, let's just really focus in on our time right now. Let's look inward and really forge great relationships with ourselves. He says, go. And as you go into mission, everything you do should be relational. And sending them into mission, everything he instructs them to do is relational. I think that's one of the first things we draw out of this passage. In verses 16 through 23, he then moves to honestly acknowledge the troubles that the disciples will have as they go. He identifies or he predicts that there will be a trouble and then he gives the disciples a promise. And this is what it says in verses 17 through 20. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus identifies the trouble first. He says, you will be handed over to the courts. People will not accept the message that you bring. Because of me, because of the mission I'm sending you on, things will not go as you have planned. You are entering a hostile world and you need to understand that. But then he gives them this promise. I am sending the Spirit to speak on your behalf. I will go with you. I will be with you. My spirit will speak on your behalf. In the second predi uh, prediction, he says this, Brother will betray brother, and a father his child, and child will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The trouble is this, he says, There will be domestic and general hate for you. As you go forward, as you step into mission, there will be domestic and general hate. People will not accept this message and they will hate you for the message. But, and then here comes the promise, for those who endure will be saved. For those who endure in that mission, they will be saved. The point to these verses, when issues arise in mission, the mission that he's sending us into, our God will meet our needs relationally. 
He goes with us. When troubles arise, I think oftentimes what we do is we scramble to try to make things work ourselves. We work harder at our efforts. Maybe we try to raise more money. Maybe we just try to find a a way to, to make the quick fix of the problem. And yet, I think Jesus is saying, no, God is with you. My spirit I send to you, and for those who endure, you will be saved. What a great promise that is. That idea of saved in the Greek, it's soteria, is, is how you say that. And, and it's really this idea of this personal rescuing, to be delivered by God. That is incredibly relational when you think about that. It's not God as a, dist, at, as a distant God trying to pull us out of the situation. It's actually Jesus entering the situation, the Spirit entering the situation, being with us in it. Saving us, delivering us rescuing us. Again, mission and relationship go together. That idea of being saved is beautifully personal and relational, that we will be rescued and delivered by our God. That's a pretty cool picture. In these last couple of verses, 24 through 39, he reminds the 12 of what it means to be a disciple. Once again, makes them aware of the realities the challenges that they will face, the realities of being a disciple, and, and we'll cruise through this quick, but first he points to the need of a disciple to be hu- uh, humble. He points to the fact that disciples can and should speak the hard truths of the gospel. The dis- disciples should fear nothing except God, have a reverent fear for God. That disciples can trust in the closeness and care of the Father. That as a disciple stands for Jesus in the face of persecution, so God will stand for him in the judgment. That a disciple recognizes that Jesus' very coming in ministry will bring division. Because we go into mission, division will happen. And lastly, he calls us, he calls disciples to a complete devotion unto him. Saying, undergirding all of this that I just said, complete devotion in our relationship is what I desire. Jesus removes any romantic notions of mission and reminds them that what they can truly trust in is their relationship with the Father. That that is the thing that we can find trust and hope in. Now, I I know that was incredibly fast, but let me end it this way when we just look at that scripture, Matthew 10. The section that seems to be detailing the ins and the outs of mission, this long discourse, it's really ascending passage, what seemingly looks like is about mission, I think is actually about relationships as well. I think we can read it in both of those ways, and I think there are three key relationships that this passage speaks to. Our relationships with each other, what I'll call inside relationships, our relationships with the world, which I'll call outside relationships, and then our divine relationship, our relationship with the Father. Let's first look at these inside relationships. We spoke to these a couple of different times in this series. So we talked about judging. We talked about marriage, uh, singleness, the space between. We talked about divorce. These were all kind of oriented or or, or looked at from a perspective of how are we dealing with these relationships within our community. And although the passage doesn't directly speak to how are we to conduct uh, within ourselves with these inside relationships, I think when you read it in context, we can pull out some really interesting truths. So first, I think we pull this out. We are sent together 
in mission. We are sent together in mission. This being perhaps the point that kind of lays the foundation for all of this. The disciples are gathered together and then they are sent together. Now, in other places in the scripture, Jesus is a little more clear in this as he says, I'll send you out two by two. But I wonder if it's not overtly stated in Matthew because this was just obvious. Because there was no other way of going about it. Matthew didn't see another way that you would do this. You would never go out to mission by yourself, but you would be sent together in community. I think too often we read the scripture through our individualized lens. We read this and we say, oh, okay, I am sent into mission, and so I need to figure out what I need to do for God's mission. But Jesus is talking to a group of men, and he's saying, go together. You are sent together into mission. Contextually, Jesus sends the community into mission, and when you look at all of Jesus' ministry, it's about community. He has these group, this group of guys that follow him around the entire time as he's doing mission. Those things go hand in hand. Second, the community of God is not neat and tidy. And I would actually argue that it's messy and complicated at times. This is a really easy thing to miss in this as we read this list of the disciples We forget that many of these men, if not all of them, were incredibly common. These were not great men. These were not fantastic leaders. These were common men, many of them fishermen. None of them really in a position of power, but just average guys that Jesus calls around him. Now, we all know this point. But it continues to stand out to me that this is who Jesus chose, average people. And in some cases, incredibly obscure people. Bartholomew, for example. How many people have read a good commentary on Bart? Anybody? The dude's incredibly obscure. He's mentioned several times in the scripture, but that's it. But this is one of the guys that Jesus calls to be around him. He walked with Jesus, and we know virtually nothing about him. But this was one of the men that he called into community. We are called... Also, to stand shoulder to shoulder with people that are different from us. This is where things in Christian community often get messy. When you read this list of 12 guys, you come upon Matthew, who's a tax collector. Matthew would have worked for the Roman government. He would have tried to take taxes from Hebrews and then given that money back to the Roman government, which was an oppressive government at this time. And so you have Matthew in this position, but then you also have Simon, who's another disciple. Simon was a part of the revolutionary party in this time. They hated the Roman government. They were trying to do everything they could to try to subvert the Roman government. And so you have Matthew, who works for the Roman government, and you have Simon, who's trying to subvert that very system. And yet these gentlemen are called to walk shoulder to shoulder with one another, to walk into Jesus' mission with one another. We can barely even talk about politics in our community. I think Jesus is communicating in this by the people he draws around him. Unity is what we need to hold on to. Never allow division to happen within the community of God. Unfortunately, we allow division to happen oftentimes. It's why we have so many denominations. 
whether it's baptism, however you, you dunk them or you sprinkle them. Maybe it's the role that women can hold in church. Maybe it's the gifts of the Spirit. But these things for too long have divided us. Now, these are incredibly important issues, and I'm not saying don't take a stand on theological things, but what's more important? You have to ask yourself that question. What would Jesus rather desire? That we may view something different theologically, but we're unified together and walking shoulder to shoulder into his mission. God places that call on the whole community, the lowly, the average, the obscure, to walk shoulder to shoulder together into mission, to be in relationship as we are moved into his mission. If we think that Christian community is neat and tidy, then I don't know if we've actually read the scripture correctly. Because I don't think it's that neat and tidy. For, for one minute here, everybody just take a look around them. Look to the person to your left, to your right. And I want you to say this to that person. You are messed up. <laughs> now here's, here's why we do that this morning. We do that because we have to honestly acknowledge the fact that our community is messed up, that it's not neat and tidy, that we as individuals are broken and hurting. If we can't acknowledge that, then, then we are living a lie. I think the first step to acknowledging the beauty of community is acknowledging its brokenness, our brokenness, and saying we are willing to walk shoulder to shoulder into that. I was, uh, another Young Life story, there, uh, I was at a camp and I, bring some, or I brought some campers from Coeur d'Alene where I was working at the time to this camp, and one of the things that, that we did at the end of the week, and I may have shared this story before, but you would grab a rock for, for kids that have uh, made a decision to trust Christ, and, and this was a way to kind of show that decision, a word picture, You'd grab, every kid would grab a rock and they'd head down to the beach and they would throw this rock into the ocean signifying getting rid of the old life and taking on the new life of Christ. And, and this was a really powerful message and kids really kind of grabbed onto this idea. And so I had brought a couple of campers who, who had trusted Jesus and, um, and there was another camper behind me with his leader. And as we're walking towards the, uh, the ocean or the bay, uh, this kid behind me, he, his rock was, was pretty, I mean, he was holding it with two hands. And my guys had just, got, you know, found a, a smaller rock you could have in one hand. But he was walking with this, this larger rock with, in his two hands. And, and we kind of get to the shore, and the speaker takes a moment, and he says, Hey, I just want to remind everybody, this, this rock that you're holding, this signifies your old life. This signifies the sin and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain in your life. And as you cast it off, Jesus' new creation will come upon you. And, um, and this kid, I kind of heard him lean over to his leader behind him, and he whispers, man, had I known it represent that, I would have got a bigger rock. <laughs> I think what's beautiful in this is this kid's willingness to, to just honestly assess his life and say, I'm broken. I have a lot of junk in my life. I think we need to acknowledge that as a community and say, we individually have a lot of junk. And yet, Jesus' call to his disciples and his call to us as disciples is to move forward, shoulder to shoulder, even with our issues, even with our junk, holding on to that idea of unity. Let's move to this idea of outside relationship. We spoke at this a little bit in the first part of this series when we talked about enemies. But really, this bigger than just how do we deal with our enemies. This is how are we to be with the outside world, with the people that aren't 
churched people, the people that we don't find ourselves in this community, but the people in the outside world. How are we to be with those people? Jesus gives us this animal metaphor. He says we are to be ship, sheep amongst wolves, that we are to be shrewd as snakes, that we are to be innocent as doves. Jesus is saying that the world we enter is hostile. It is a world of wolves. It's not a kind place. It's not even an easy place. Sometimes it's not even a good place, but it is the place I am sending you to. It is hostile, and yet I am sending you as sheep. Sheep completely dependent upon the shepherd. That is how we are supposed to be as we enter the outside world. Jesus is calling us to embody the dependence and gentleness of sheep, but also the wisdom and prudence of the serpent and the peace of the dove. Be these things to the outside world. These are the characteristics you should carry upon yourself. When I read this, I, I want Jesus to say you should be like the lion you should be like the bear. You should be like the eagle, more stately or powerful animals. And yet, I think he uses sheep and serpent and dove to communicate in kind of a, a backwards way the qualitative difference we are to be in the world. We are to be other. The world should recognize our otherness and the fact that we are like sheep, like the serpent, like the dove. We should be different, noticeably different than the world in the way that we think in our creativity, in our style, in our actions, in the things we say, in the things that we do. For if we don't stand out, then I'm not sure we're actually living into Jesus' call. People would have heard these animals, and that would have made sense to them to say, oh, th those are different animals than I would have guessed. I guess we're to be different. We're not to be like the wolves. We are to be other we are sent as others into the world, and it's by our otherness that they will know him. That's how people know Jesus. Move to this last relationship, the divine relationship, the relationship that we have with our Father. It's really the relationship that lays the foundation for all other relationships. It is the most important one. And in the end of this section, Jesus says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. We are called to a singular focus on Jesus Christ. That is what our discipleship is about. As we move into mission together, we are called to a singular focus on Jesus Christ, that we allow nothing to get in the way of that. This is the key to it all. And I believe it can only happen in and through mission. You say it this way, for if we are not a part of God's mission, then I don't think that we're really in relationship with him. I'd say it maybe this way too, the backwards way. It's only through our following of him into mission that we are able to experience divine relationship. Again, these two things are intrinsically linked together. Mission and relationship have to flow in 
and through and out of one another. It's a constant dance that's being unfolded before us. That is our call, to hold these things together, to make sure that they are always linked. Let me end with a, a couple of statements here. Although this morning is the end of this, this uh, idea or this series about relationships, it really is about two things. It's about the intrinsic link between relationships and mission. I found this quote, and I, I think it speaks to this really well. It says this, To be involved in ministry that participates with God and God's mission has to be inherently relational and personal. I believe ministry to others must not maintain a professionality, but must involve all who we are as persons in relationship, taking the risk of being hurt by the love we extend to others and receive from others. Ministry, like God's mission, must be intensely personal and relational. To minister in any other way is not to participate with God in God's mission, because to minister in any other way is to minister in ways which are foreign to God's Trinitarian relationality. Within the Trinitarian nature of God, relationship and mission are born. He is in relationship with himself, and he sends himself into the world to humanity. This reality becomes the framework for our lives. Jesus says this in Matthew 22. Somebody asks him, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? I, I can't keep track of them all. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. This is the way that Jesus summarizes all of the commandments. What I notice when I read this is that it's relational and it's about mission. God says, love me above all else, but then take that love and do mission in it. Be in relationship with me, but then go and do mission because of that love. As much as it sometimes feels like these two things are apart from one another, that if you're going to be great at mission, then you can't really have enough time to be great at relationship or vice versa. I think we have to understand that these two things are intrinsically linked. They cannot be 